Dubcast is in the house, and another one bites the dust in the form of Northern Illinois University. I am Michael Citro. I'm Johnny Ginter. And we're 3-0, and Johnny. 3-0, and and not a care in the world. It's going exactly how everyone imagined it. It's, right. Every game is 50 to nothing, and it's just full steam ahead to the national championship well, or yeah. something. I mean, something really, like I you know, I... This is exactly what I thought Ohio State would look like in August. I, I expected them to be slow rolling against Northern Illinois and to a less <laughs> in Hawaii. But yeah, you know, whatever. You know, so yeah, I think we all expected thirteen offensive points against Northern Illinois. I think. <laughs> yeah. I think when we looked at the schedule, no, we said we circled. That, when you say that out loud, that actually makes me feel bad. <laughs> we circled the game and went, yeah, that's going to be 13 about thirteen points. points from the offense. Yeah. I, Actually, uh, we I had. I was in attendance at this game, and um, you know what? It was not the most miserable Ohio State game I've ever sat through. At least I take that back. The most miserable Ohio State victory I've ever sat through, because I was at 2007 Akron, and that was the worst. Um, but this was <laughs> this, what was that? The three-two game at halftime? Yes, it was. And yeah, okay. <laughs> it rained the first quarter, just like this past game, which I got soaked. So did my girlfriend. And, but at least in this game, it didn't get ungodly hot and muggy afterwards. It was actually kind of pleasant after the rain. And I don't know, it was marginally more exciting. There were some cool plays. That 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 game against Akron was just bad and, and on so many levels. Um, this was pretty bad too. But, you know, honestly, like, you're going to have a couple games like this during the year. I'm not pushing the panic button yet. I think there are definitely some ways that they can work stuff out. And the defense was incredible. If you like watching good defense, that was a fun game to watch. Um, I really enjoyed watching them do what they did. And, and yeah, we can hit, bring our hands about Cardell and, and Barrett and all that other stuff. But, but frankly, like I want to focus on guys like you know Darren Lee and, and Garen Collinley, you know, kind of doing their thing. So that was fun. Yeah. Now tell me, you know, one of the things that I always wonder about, you really don't get a good sense on TV about yeah. it, is uh, these early season games against MAC teams that no one's excited about. How was the crowd? Good, actually, which surprised me because, you know, Ohio Stadium can be quiet from time to time, especially against lower tier opponents. But the, the stadium was actually pretty good. I mean, they got up for every third down. I think they really, really want Ohio State to, you know, perform well. And there weren't any, like, boos or anything like that, but people were definitely invested in the game. I, I thought that was really cool, actually. I, I did not expect it, to be honest, because I was at the Indiana game last year under similar crappy weather conditions, and people could not have been less interested in that game uh, at the stadium. But, yeah, they were they were pretty good. They were into it. And one of the things we didn't get to really check out because it happened during commercial break was Jim Tressel being honored. Yeah. And how how was his reception and uh what was it like to bask in the glow of Tress once again? It was well, I mean it's always an amazing thing to bask in the glory of Jim Tressel. I mean, just the the amount of sweater vests in the stadium was definitely higher than average. But what's interesting is that he was honored at, you know, during this break and that was the time when the rain was like an absolute insane downpour. Like, it was, it was <laughs> ridiculous. There was so much water coming down from the sky. You couldn't barely see anything. And it was it was kind of hilarious. And then once he leaves the field, the skies opened up and the water, you know, the rain stopped. And <laughs> it was an interesting well, yeah. metaphor, an interesting meteorological metaphor for life. So he, he ended the ended the rain and, and then came on Urban Meyer's team and, won the game. So it's it's very interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. Well, 
Well, Trestle knows that it's not about him. So he let it rain <laughs> while he was out there. And then when it was time to play, you know, he waved his hands yeah. to heaven and the rain just all went away. There you go. He had, he had a really nice reception. It was it was really cool to see him at Ohio Stadium. And, you know, especially me, you know, I went to college while he was, uh, you know, I was at Ohio State in college while he was at his prime. And, you know, it was, it was just cool to see the senator back in the shoe. I, I enjoyed that a lot. So obviously the big thing is uh, Cardell Jones being replaced after the fifth series yeah. and and never seeing the field again um, after throwing through two interceptions, struggled with some snaps and some exchanges. Although you know some of that was on the center, uh, Jacoby Boren is he's really struggled with the snapping this year. Yeah, there's been a lot. Of that. Uh, I just don't get you know this this veteran offensive line is just seems discombobulated I think is the word that we've heard this week and I don't get what's going on with this team in terms of you know why aren't they just lining up and get into a rhythm by just mashing guys I mean they should be able to just mash guys don't you think yeah I I do think however that some of it is a different coaching philosophy on the offensive end I do think the play calling is it's not incredibly different but they're not, for instance, one of the things we discussed in Slack this week, right, was like the fact that they have not been count, calling like any counters at all, which to me is very odd because that mm-hmm. seems like a play that would play directly into Ezekiel Elliott's strengths as a running back. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, we, we counted the crap out of Oregon and, and Alabama, and for some reason we just feel like we want to get away from that, and that was very odd to me. I, I do think that, I mean, I think there is a bit of a feeling that Ezekiel Elliott hasn't been getting the touches which isn't really true. He's gotten 50 in the last two games, so uh-huh. I don't know that that's you know really borne itself out. I, I don't know that he's necessarily making the most of it, but I, I think a lot of it, like you said, goes back to the offensive line, and you know maybe it is Ed Warner not you know being able to give that unit as much attention in the past as he you know or as he has in the past rather. But it'll be interesting to see how they come out against uh, Western Michigan because you know Urban Meyer said that they had a great week of practice leading into Northern Illinois, and then they kind of didn't show that on the field. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what they decide to do. I, I, I do think maybe this is a team that needs to, you know, run first and pass second as opposed to maybe what Warner would like them to do, which is to kind of wing it around a little bit with some slant routes and some, you know, pop passes out of the backfield. Uh, they may have to go just gritty, you know, Big Ten ball style. Yeah, I think one of the things that you kind of lose sight of from time to time is people think, well, Zeke's not touching the ball. Cause what they see is, Oh, we gained eight yards on first down. Right. Now it's second down and we threw an incomplete pass. Now it's third down and we threw an incomplete pass. Right. So, you know, they're thinking that's Zeke time, right? That's two yards to go, you know, but I, I think from a perspective of the coaching staff and wanting to prepare for the, for the big 10 season, you're thinking, Oh, we can pick up two yards. That's easy. So right. let's do something. Uh, let's work on something right now because this is Northern Illinois, you know, or this is Hawaii. And not so let's kill work our, on our star running back before you know he you know has to play Michigan State in late November. Right. And I, you know, you said something about you know not running the counters. And one of the things that I thought was interesting uh, was that we used to have a very robust quarterback run game, which I think that they're trying to get away from that to protect the athletes. They're trying yeah. to keep them healthy I agree and trying that. not to get guys hurt. But God, Braxton Miller was so good at quarterback counter tray. <laughs> yeah. That was like, he made a living off that, that play. And he got that. injured a lot too, you know? And, and I think that concern where, you know, you're like, God, we can't have dudes get injured every single year. 
that's that's a valid one, I think. I mean, I mean, you're right. I mean, Braxton Miller is an otherworldly running, you know, quarterback and, and did some amazing things. And JT Barrett obviously was incredible last year running the ball. But there is a, I think there is a tipping point for coaches when it comes to that. I think they see the injuries stack up. And they're like, maybe this isn't really worth it. Either us as a team, because, you know, you've got to replace the guy if he has to go out. And then maybe for the player individually. So, I, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if that were the case, where they were looking at it and going, maybe this isn't super sustainable anymore. You may be right. I, I think kind of, too, one of the things that popped into my mind was that there's this whole thing in the offseason where everybody looks to see what you've done and they dissect it and well, they yeah. inspect every little minute detail. And they go, OK, well, we can't do that anymore because everybody's going to be keying on that. Right. So, you know. But then you run the risk of changing who you are completely. And I think what Tom Herman and 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 Urban Meyer built in terms of that offense last year was an amazing thing. And it was, at the end of the year, an absolute juggernaut. Right. I, and they could have played, played ten more games and they would not have lost a single one of those. That, that yeah, offense I, was humming at the end of that year. It really was. I just don't think you want to go too far from what you do well, you know? I, I mean, that's that's my opinion, but... You know, Ed Warner is the guy in charge now, and he's going to want to do some things his way. And, and, you know, as long as Urban's, you know, he's this new Urban Meyer since, you know, he left Florida where he's he's delegating. He's letting people do their jobs. He's not going to micromanage. And, you know, at some point, though, like this week, he said, um, yeah, we're going to be more aggressive. And he said this will get fixed, which tells me. I'm going to be in on every <laughs> right. offensive meeting. Exactly I'm right. going to yeah. make sure that we're calling the plays that need to be called, and whoever's calling the plays are, are going to be where they're supposed to be. Yeah. So there, there's going to be like a bit of an overhaul, I think. I, I had that exact same reaction. I was like, oh, okay, there's going to be more aggressive play calling, i.e. I'm going to be calling the plays <laughs> entirely. <laughs> like that. That's uh, that's basically what my impression was. I, it'll be interesting to see how they come out. I, I think there are certain things that they can do. I also think that you need more steady quarterback play. I, you know, like I said, I you know, Fingus and, and us have talked about this, but you have to be consistent. And you know, however they go with it, they have enough talent back there to to fix whatever problem it is. And I do think maybe with the new offensive coordinator, there's a bit of a learning curve with the you know offensive line and the playmakers and whatnot. And I, I do think it'll get rectified. I mean, there is a certain amount of hand ringing when a team that you expected to have zero problems all of a sudden has kind of some problems, but they're still an incredibly good football team. The pieces are there for the best team in the country. I don't think that's who they are right now, but I think that's definitely who they could be in the next like, you know, three or four weeks. So we'll see how this uh, unfolds on Saturday, but I'm, I'm personally not too worried about it quite yet, especially with the emergence of the defense. Yeah, and when, it's not time to panic when you're you know sitting on undefeated season and you know you've got the players that you've got. And when Urban Meyer says he's going to fix something, typically it gets fixed, right? And you know sooner rather than later in most cases. So uh, I remember uh, b- before last season when he said that the pass defense would absolutely get fixed, and you know he brought in Chris Ash, and lo and behold, by the end of last season, very good pass defense. So. Yeah. Um, you know, he's usually true to his word. He's not a dumb man. He didn't get to be as successful as, as he has. What has he lost? Three games at Ohio State total? <laughs> Unacceptable. <laughs> I will take and to Peter- the internet immediately. <laughs> so, like I said all all, all, all offseason, I said, enjoy 2014 because it was so fun and unexpected. And this year, everybody's going to be expecting it, and there's going to be pressure, and you're going to be tense about it. And, right. you know... You shouldn't because no one repeats. It's like virtually is unheard of. Yeah. So 
I'm going to tell you right now, I don't think Ohio State's repeating his national championship uh, team, but I would love it if they did, and I'm going to enjoy it if they do, but I'm not expecting it. That way I can be pleasantly surprised rather than, you know, irate and, you know, throwing things and that kind of thing. So, I mean, we got our Christmas early, so don't you get your present when you get to open your presents early. Don't be mad if there's nothing under the tree on the 25th. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> all right, so why don't we turn our attention to some ask us anything? Yeah, yeah let's ask us anything. Let's do it. All right, so why don't we? Why don't you tell people how they can ask us anything? Okay, you can ask us anything by sending us a question on Twitter to uh, eleven dubcast at eleven dubcast and just spell all out e l e v e n d u b c a s t. You can. And also send us an email, uh, that's dubcast at 11warriors.com. And that's it. That's, those are the only ways you can get in contact with us. Those are the only ways. Pi- you can send us a messenger pigeon, but our cat will probably eat it. So, not our cat, not my girl and I's cat, but my girlfriend and I's cat. I don't know, you, can, you have cats, right? I, I have three of them, actually. That's a lot of cats. Do they, uh, do they, like, bring you goodies? You know, do they kill things and leave them at your doorstep? No, they're not outside cats. Oh, okay. All the time. Gotcha. So um, we live up against a, a nature preserve oh, out here, nice. and there's all, so there's all kinds of like critters back in there. Yeah. And this is Florida. Gators Florida, and... you know, there's Florida, so oh, you know, there's snakes and... and you know all kinds of stuff. So um, nice. yeah, we don't we don't let them out of the house, and they uh, they just basically usually they just meow at me in the middle of the night and annoy the crap out of nice. me. But that's their present to me. So or you can you know you can always send us a Harry Potter owl. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I do look quite a bit like Harry Potter, so. <laughs> you need a little rounder glasses, I think. <laughs> I used to have those, actually. I was okay, but I also used to have a gigantic bowl cut, so whatever. <laughs> All right, we're going to start off uh, with an email question from Gregory Metz. Yeah, let's do it. And uh, Gregory wants to know, uh, hi, guys, hope you had a bo- both had a good weekend. Hey, thanks, we did. I, at least I did. I had a pretty I'm good sure. weekend. Uh, he wants to know, soft or crispy cookies, Johnny? Uh, soft, that duh. I mean, come on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, soft, hot out of the oven, uh, you know, with the chocolate melting. I'm a little offended Gregory would even ask this question. Yeah, it, it almost seems like he's trolling us with that question, doesn't it? <laughs> I like crispy cookies. I don't know. I mean, I guess, like, you know, store-bought cookies can be good if they're crispy. Like, I like, like I've been known to eat, like... In college, I've been known to eat like an entire box of uh-huh. like, nutter butters. Like, so the, you know, the nutter butters are crispy, so I guess you know that's okay. But yeah, I mean, I like them hot out of the oven. What's your favorite cookie, Johnny? My favorite cookie. My favorite cookie is probably peanut butter cookies or oatmeal. I really like oatmeal cookies, and oatmeal, oh, oatmeal sucks. Like, screw you. They're delicious. It's just cinnamon. <laughs> it's a cinnamon like nutmeg cookie, whatever. I like. I like them. I make no apologies yeah. for my oatmeal cookie enjoyment. I was a late ar- arrival on the, the, the oatmeal cookie bandwagon, but I can enjoy a good oatmeal I, here's cookie. Here's the thing. I can eat a lot of oatmeal cookies. There are some cookies I can't eat a lot of because I just get overwhelmed by the, mm-hmm. the taste of it. But, like, oatmeal cookies, I'm a big fan. Also, I really, I'm a big fan of Oreos. I'll eat a butt ton of Oreos. They're great. Uh, I, I'm a big fan of snickerdoodles myself. Those are pretty good. Yeah, it's I like quality cookie. Uh, Gregory has another question. It's a philosophical question of the week. Yes. Uh, do we have free will, mm. and if not, if not, should anyone take credit for accomplishments or be punished for crimes? That's a very good question. Uh, I do think we have free will. I, now, it is that is a legitimate philosophical question whether or not yes, we have free is. will, because the idea here is, you know, are we truly independent actors, okay, of our own like egos, or mm-hmm. are we simply a 
you know, um, a collection of events and opinions and ideas and thoughts that are kind of passed down to us through our uh, upbringing. So kind of the whole nature versus nurture argument, right? And okay. the argument that says we don't have free will would say that, you know, nature is essentially irrelevant and nurture is much more important. I think we still have a decent amount of free will. Uh, I would say that while your environment certainly shapes you as a human being, I do think that most rational people uh, do have a certain level of free will that allows them to make conscious decisions, good decisions, bad decisions, but conscious decisions mm-hmm. um, in their lives. So you, you should take credit for accomplishments because it's a result of work and effort, and you should be punished for crimes because it's also a result of work and effort. So that's my personal take on that. I agree 100%. We have free will, and I will choose free will, as the band Rush <laughs> once sang. Uh, <laughs> why are you laughing at me? Because I listen to Rush? No, I just okay. that's a good song. All you right. may choose to follow some celestial voice. If you choose not yeah. to decide, you still have made a choice. Still made a choice. Exactly. There you go. No, See? As- we do have free will. That's right. Any As Arthur Fonzarelli would say, exacto mundo. Yeah. Um, Todd Langley uh, has asked a question. Who was the leader of New Edition, Bobby Brown or Ralph Tressman? <laughs> I don't know. Bobby Brown is the only person I've heard of. <laughs> says he's asking for a friend, which I doubt. This is a uh, question, you, <laughs> this is a question yeah. Michael should answer, because I believe you have a better opinion on this than I do. Uh, I thought um, there was no leader ship in new edition it was a complete garbage piece of crap band and no one should ever listen to any of we just lost a listener thanks michael good job Uh, that's fine okay so todd yeah uh no one no one no one was a leader that's the problem they broke up right i don't they had a I don't, I don't, I know, look, I, I have vaguely heard of New Edition and Bobby Brown. <laughs> I don't know that I can tell you anything that they've ever sung. I don't know. I think if Bobby Brown hadn't married Whitney Houston, no one would have ever heard of him. That's probably think. true. I certainly wouldn't have. Uh, our good friend Nicholas Jervy has a question for us, Johnny. All right, let's hear it. I want, I want to hear what Nick has to ask. All right. There's been lots of whining about Warner and Beck. When is and is it not appropriate to call for a coach's job, Johnny? Oh, it's definitely appropriate eventually to call for a coach's job. It's not. It's just not appropriate when your team is on a what a 17 game winning streak, uh, yeah. and you are coming off a national championship win, and you like are still an amazing team, like. Ohio State fans have this incredibly skewed idea about what it means to be legitimately angry about something. Do you know what I mean? Like, uh-huh. if you are a fan of Michigan football and you watch uh, Brady Hoke allow a clearly concussed quarterback to, like, stumble around on the field like an idiot because he doesn't know where he is for, like, three or four plays, that's mm-hmm. something to be legitimately upset about. And to, like, then say it's this person needs to be fired, Right. But if you just have, like, a couple poor performances in a row, like, I understand, like, by our standards, that's, like, the end of the world. But that's not the way hiring and firing should work. And, by the way, I should also point out that those same people were wanting uh, Herman to be fired, Fickle to be fired, Urban to be fired after Virginia Tech loss last year. Okay? So you got to have a little bit of perspective. There, There is a time to call for a firing, but it's not now. Probably not even at the end of the season, frankly, for Ohio State, because they're still going to be very good. Who was it said uh, last year, relax, was uh, Aaron Rodgers? Relax. Right. Uh, yeah, I think 
there are times when it's a, when is it appropriate to call for a coach's job when the coach's name is Kyle Flood and the <laughs> right, school is Rutgers right. because how does he still have a job? How? Yeah, I don't, how does that guy have he a knows job? where the bodies are buried. That's literally that's <laughs> it. Like he he probably has some kind of dirt and he's he's only marginally like his dirt his his skeletons are only marginally more public than all the all of his bosses and I think that's probably what they're afraid of, frankly. Yeah, I mean, realistically, if you have underperformed, consistently underperformed, that's a reason for dismissal. If you have uh, violated some rules and got your team in trouble, that's that's a reason for dismissal. That's when it's appropriate. If you're talking about Warner and Beck, Warner has been an offensive coordinator for three games. Right. Uh, Tim well, Beck has Ohio been our State, but yeah, I know what you're saying. Yeah, and Tim Beck has been our offensive uh, or our quarterbacks coach for three games. Right. And who knows how much is even the quarterback coach because. I think you'd have to be a pretty bad coach to be able to come in and ruin a couple of quarterbacks. I think there's, and we'll talk to Matt Finkus about this in a bit. I, there's a lot more going on, and we'll, we'll talk also yeah. to our uh, our esteemed special uh, guest this week about it. There's a lot more I going on. Worry about it, but in the post, like we say exactly who's on the show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I mean, it, it is what it is. It, it's you know, right now things aren't going the greatest, but. Teams 3-0, and relax. Got a few more games that, against teams that maybe aren't the best in the world that we can maybe fix this stuff against. Yeah. And, you know, when you go back to Virginia Tech and you think, the team played pretty well that night, right? Would you say that? Would you say the team played pretty well yeah, against I Virginia mean, Tech? Yeah, for the most part. Yeah. So, obviously, when properly motivated, good athletes will come to play and kick some ass. Yeah. Uh, maybe they are the A students in school that are – you know, basically just kind of coasting right now because everything's really easy. Right. So we'll see. You know, we'll see in a few weeks. Really, at the end of last year, we didn't have the Buckeyes that we had at the beginning of last year. And at the end of this year, we're not going to have the Buckeyes that we have at the beginning of this year. That's just the way college football and sports in general work. So, uh, Nicholas, thanks so much for your question. Uh, sorry that we were so long-winded about answering it, but uh, hopefully uh, you are satisfied with our responses. Yes. All right, joining us again this week, as he does every week throughout the entire college football season, our good friend Matt Finkus for Finkus on Football. How you doing tonight, Matt? I am absolutely fantastic. <laughs> wow, that's awesome. That is awesome to hear. You do sound fantastic, too. Uh, much better than our first call. It's much better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, sometimes you have some technical difficulties, but, you know, this is all... You know, news to the listener because they don't know anything about what we just went through. Yes, a little, uh, uh, little, a little uh, peek behind the curtain there, as it were. The eleven right. dubcast is a very smoothly, finely or smooth, finely tuned machine. That's right. It always will be. It always has been. Of course, Matt. Let's let's dive right into this uh, Northern Illinois recap, and I want to talk about the quarterbacks. A oh no, okay. I, I, I think we've. I think we know where you are with the quarterbacks after the last two weeks. Um, I want to talk about a defense. Defense that has allowed fewer than 100 passing yards two weeks in a row, something that hasn't been done since 2007. 
How about the pass defense for Ohio State? I think it's exceptional. I think it has to do with uh, a lot with those guys up front. Those uh, six or seven guys that they've got rolling through there, uh, I mean, Adolphus Washington and Tommy Shutt, obviously Bosa's really good. Sam Hubbard has come into his own. Tyquan Lewis had an absolute monster game against Northern Illinois. And really, I mean, that was kind of his coming out party, uh, you know, just statistic-wise and just impact-wise as well. And uh, and I think those guys up front make it really easy to cover. I mean, that's just, uh, you know, <clears throat> I've done interviews and talked with Sean Springs and Ty Howard and those guys. And, and yes, it's, it's, it's a mutual thing when you talk about the coverage that we play, cover for, press coverage, and, and, the, and the defensive line. You know that if you are able to get there as a defensive lineman, if you're able to get to the quarterback within two or three seconds, you know that those guys, you know, I'm sure Bosa and, and Hubbard and Taekwon Lewis and Washington know that if they can get to that quarterback within three seconds, that Eli Apple and Gary and Conley can cover for those three seconds. They know that they can. They have that confidence. And the front end, you know, and the reverse is true. Eli Apple and Gary and Conley know, like, hey, if, if I can hold this guy, if I can keep this guy, check him at the line, you know, stay with this guy for three or four seconds, somebody's getting to the quarterback. So, so that mentality, you know, they feed off each other, and you're starting to see that play out here week after week. You know what? So I, I, I really appreciate watching a good defense, like, kind of strut their stuff. And I know a lot of people, there's a lot of hand-wringing over the offense, and, and rightfully so. Like, I, you know, you don't put up that few points against Northern Illinois and not have a, a few, you know, you know, shakes and quibbles. But I guess what I want to ask you about is what makes a defensive line – this is going to be a really stupid question. What makes a defensive line good? Because we, we look at stats, we're like, oh, God, Joey Bosa's got to get all the sacks and, you know, we will make all these tackles for loss. What helps specifically what, – what does the defensive line do to help out the players behind them, like the linebackers and the, you know, the defensive backs? Like – what kind of scheme? What kind of like funneling players? If you're talking about the run game, it's, it's basically it's being gap sound. It's, the the right. defensive line's job is to be where they're expected to be. It's, it's to stay in the gap, not get reached, not get hooked, not get cut just to be in the gap that they're supposed to be in, that allows the linebackers to fit where they're supposed to, the safeties to fit where they're supposed to, and then everyone is doing their job. On the passing front, it's about winning one-on-one battles. That's what makes a defensive line good. And it's about having enough talent across the front that if Joey Bosa is taking up two or three blockers, that someone else is going to win a one-on-one battle. So you're going to make the offense not be able to double or triple team Joey Bosa every play because if not, someone else is going to win. And you don't. Know, and I mean, the, the basic premise when you rush four, and let's say you bring, you, you leave six in to block, um, the the basic premise is you're, you're going to have one guy that's going to be able to help on each side. You'd love for that as an offensive line to not be predetermined you'd love for that to not be okay i've got to go and help on 97 every single play you'd love to be able to drop back see who's winning their battle who's losing their battle and then go help that guy and and when you have four across the board that are able to win one-on-one battles um that 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 creates a lot of confusion for the offensive line because now you're trying to scheme. Now who who are we going to block? Are we going to block Bosa with two? Probably so. Who else? Washington with two. Okay. Well now Tyquan Lewis and Tommy Shutt can can win on one bat one on one battles. Now you bring in Darren Lee off the edge every once in a while as well, and you get you know four fast guys in there. So just the way that the defensive line plays as a unit 
where there is no weak link, that is really the crucial thing when it comes to pass rush. And then again, like I said, on run, it's just being where you're supposed to be. You don't have to do anything spectacular a lot of times. You know, yeah, it's great when you when you cause penetration and take that defensive or offensive lineman in the backfield and get a tackle for a loss. But most of the time as a defensive lineman on a running game, it's just being where you're supposed to be. And a lot of times the ball will come to you because – those guys that are running the football are watching those linebackers. They're not watching the defensive linemen. They, they kind of understand that the offensive line is going to take care of those guys. They're watching those linebackers. So if a linebacker fits into the hole where he's supposed to, a lot of times those running backs are bouncing and they're running right into the arms of a defensive lineman who's, who's playing and is in the gap that he's supposed to be in. Thank you for bailing out that really poorly worded question with an excellent answer. <laughs> I really appreciate that. My pleasure. Yeah, the, That's what I do. The, <laughs> what I, one of the things we've heard a lot about this week is odd man fronts uh, from the defense. And we've also heard Urban Meyer, not for the first time since he's been here, say that they prepared for a defense and got an entirely different defense. I guess my first question is, how should the offensive line be dealing with an odd man front and or an odd front? And how should you know, whose whose fault is it if we're preparing for the wrong defense? Well, let me give you a little insight as to, as to how offenses and defenses prepare. As an offense, if we're only preparing for one front, our entire offensive coaching staff should be fired. <laughs> Flat out. If, if we're only saying, well, they're going to play 4-3 and they're going to play it every single down, and we know that, and that's what's going to happen, then, then they should all just go look for other jobs. That's not what's happening out there. Um, and, and maybe it's causing some confusion, but those guys are preparing for multiple fronts every single week. I, I personally feel like – and I, I just kind of got this – this inclination after listening to the press conference and, and Urban kind of saying this on Monday, it feels to me like we're back in 2013 and the defense is playing like crap. And, and Urban every week would say, man, yep, we got to get that fixed. But it right. never got fixed, you know. And, and I feel like we're that, we're that way with the offense. Well, you know, they, they ran that odd front against us. Hey, let, let's start practicing for the odd front then. It, it, <laughs> that's not what's happening. And, and, and I guarantee you, that in again, here's a little peek behind the curtain. Urban's fallen on the sword for his players not winning their one-on-one battles with that. That's what that is. It, it's the offensive line not winning their one-on-one battles, maybe having some missed assignments, maybe not recognizing the front properly. As, a, as when you talk about running the football, on every blocking or every every blocking scheme has rules. So when a play is called, the offensive lineman, guard, center, tackle, they each have a rule. And they follow those rules, or they're supposed to follow those rules. So it doesn't matter where the guy lines up. They have a rule progression to go to. They block maybe the man over him, no man over him, block inside, no man inside, go to the second level. I mean, that's just a, you know, it's a rudimentary example, but, but every lineman has a rule for every play. And so if you follow those rules, it shouldn't matter what front is that you get lined up against. You should – be able to block it just the same way that I mean if, if that was if that were true then all a defense would have to do is line up in an exotic formation and blitz and you wouldn't know what you're doing because you didn't right. practice against that mm-hmm. blitzing is the same way when a, when a protection is called there are rules to that protection 
and the rule is, you know, man on outside, you know, or I've got the outside linebacker or first guy past this this point. There are rules to everything, and if you follow those rules, they they can get you through ninety percent of of what's gonna what an offense or excuse me what a defense is gonna throw at you. So this is Urban falling on the sword a little bit for his guys because right now we're not winning the one on one battles up front. And, and personally, I feel it's, it's because we don't have a clear identity as an offense. You go back to, to where we were against Wisconsin, against Alabama, and against uh, Oregon, as opposed to where we were against you know, Indiana and Michigan. Mm-hmm. Against those last three teams, we ran the ball north and south between the tackles, and that's what offensive linemen love to do. They love to roll off the ball, get moving forward, and maul guys. They don't like to, to, to try to reach a guy, to get out in space against a smaller, faster guy, and try to out-finesse him. That's not what they enjoy doing. They enjoy eating a lot and running off the football and, <laughs> and holding a guy and mauling him. I mean, that's just you go ask any offensive lineman. That's, that's exactly what they want to do. So I think we need to get back to that philosophy. I, I think this, this offensive issue that we have is not as much a preparation problem as philosophy problem. We need to know who we are, who we're going to be, how we're going to distribute the ball, and where our best players are going to be. And I said this you know, on Twitter the other night. If we get 70 offensive touches a game, 25 of those should go to Zeke, 15 of those should go to Braxton, 10 of those should go to Michael Thomas, and then the others can just – Get whatever's left. But those touches should go to those guys on plays that are built for them to, to succeed. And for Zeke, it should be taking a handoff and going between the tackles. Yeah, he's going to break some some 80-yard runs because he's got that ability, but he's going to he's not going to do it running a jet sweep around the edge or taking a you know a, a pitch on an option. He's going to get it by the safety coming down, trying to add an extra guy into the box, him making a guy miss, breaking that tackle while he's running in between the tackles, and then taking it to the house for 80 yards. And I think our offense needs to figure that out or, or get back to that philosophy. You know, it almost seems like Urban is content on letting that play itself out on the field. You know what I mean? Like, to work itself yeah. out. And yeah. how, how long do you think they can afford to do that? No longer. I mean, I think you're going to see some real changes this week. I'm mean, Actually, I'm hoping you're going to see some real changes this week. I think you've got to go with a quarterback, and whoever that might be, just go with him. You know, you're doing both of these guys a disservice by giving them half the practice reps that they would normally get if they were the starter and then expecting them to both go out and perform like a starter on Saturday. That, that's not fair to either of those guys, to Cardell Jones or J.T. Barrett. This is a big boy league. Not everyone gets a trophy. You know, we do keep score here, and, not, and your mom doesn't bring you orange slices at halftime. So pick a starter. The other guy can sulk on the bench, or if it's Cardell Jones, he can take to Twitter or whatever it is that they do. <laughs> And, I mean, if it's Cardell, that's fine. Let it be Cardell, but give him all the reps. Know that he's going to be the starter. Tell him you don't need to look over your shoulder. Unless you throw, you know, two or three interceptions in, in the first quarter, you're, you're our guy. You're going to be the guy. And, and, and that's what it's going to take for, for someone to succeed. This, this preparation, I mean, I go back to the Darren Lee play. You know, he recognized. That's, I mean, he probably saw that play seven or eight times in practice. He saw that play on film, you know, five or six times. So for Darren Lee, to, let's say he saw that play eight times or ten times during the week. If Darren Lee was splitting time, he would have seen that play four times during the week and not ten times during the week or, or 
eight times during the week. So maybe he doesn't recognize it. It's the same for the quarterbacks. Maybe they only see that defense that they're supposed to be, you know, that coverage four or five reps during the week against the, the play that they've got called and not 10. Well, that's doing them a disservice because those reps are vital for those guys. So I think from just a practice and preparation standpoint, you've got to pick a guy and give him everything that it takes to succeed. Now, whether if at that point he fails, okay, so be it. Then you go to guy two. But I don't think you can do this thing with two quarterbacks because you're, you're doing both of them a disservice. Yeah, fair enough, and I know that uh, we've been we've been beating on this quarterback thing since <laughs> the end of last season. Yeah. Uh, so you know, at some point, it's going to have to work itself out, or it's just going to be chaos, and we're just going to have to say, well, at least we had last year's trophy. <laughs> um, but Matt, before we let you get out of here, we definitely want to get you to weigh in on one of our ask us anything questions. So I, I've got a very simple one for you from Gregory Metz. Excellent. Uh, very simple question. Soft or crispy cookies? Soft cookies. What kind of question is that? Who likes crispy <laughs> cookies? I agree with that 100%. I mean, crispy way. cookies are burnt. Unless you're talking about um, the like the butter cookies, the shortbread butter cookies, those are the only crispy cookies that are any, any good, or Oreos, I guess. But those are meant to be crispy Dumb, cookies. Right? Like, yeah. like yeah. The, the Oreos are best eaten soggy anyway. So Yeah, I, I mean, who, who doesn't want to have a cookie fresh out of the oven? Right. I mean, I, right. Yeah. Exactly. Come on. That's, yes. that's, that's, that's a sick American. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't want a soft cookie. I'll tell you who. <laughs> communist. That's who. who that's who. <laughs> uh, right. Uh, yeah, I think that was right in the book of Marx right there. there I think uh, so. I think that was a, one of the uh, ten pillars of communism. Crispy cookies. Right. Exactly. and Marx were like, God, I love a crispy cookie. Crispy cookies yes. for all the comrades. Yes, the proletariat <laughs> will only have crispy cookies, and the bourgeois class will not have any. Uh, Matt Fingus for Fingus on Football. Thank you, as always, for, for joining our, our little mayhem here, and um, we'll t- check back in with you next week. Always good to have a place to rant, guys. I appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs> all right, take care. All right, see you guys. Thanks. All right, joining us this week on the 11 Dubcast is Sports Illustrated college football writer Pete Thamel. Pete, thanks so much for being on the Dubcast. Hey, guys, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. You know, we're really, uh, really glad to have you on. We wanted to, to you know, get your thoughts on, on all things college football, but we want to start, obviously, with Ohio State. And uh, we've seen some, some concern, I guess, around the country with, with the Buckeyes and their, their slow start offensively to the season, and uh, that's bleeding off some of the, the number one votes and that kind of thing, which doesn't really mean that much right now. What do you see when you watch this team, and, and do you think that the, the quarterback issue is at the heart of it, or do you think it's a much deeper thing that's going on right now? Yeah, I think it's it, it's simplistic to put it on, you know, the, the, the quarterback. Um, I mean, clearly clearly Ohio State is, uh, has not performed offensively to the level where uh, where they think they should be, and where, you know, and where they should be, you know, in relation to the talent that they have. Um, and uh, you know, there's there's some there's some nickel theories. The quarterback flux is thrown thrown off timing. Um, you know, some people have pointed to Tom Harmon's departure to Houston as as a reason. And I think it's to to just pin it on one thing would be uh, would be simplistic and and, and unfair. Um, I think there's there's a confluence of factors, and in, in all of those things I just mentioned have a lot to do with it. But 
to me, the most glaring part about Ohio State so far this season is that the offensive line hasn't dominated in the fashion that, on paper, going into the year, you would have thought that they uh, that they would have. Uh, whoever has been playing quarterback has been under under duress. The, the Foles haven't been there for Ezekiel Elliott, perhaps in the same way they were in the last three games last season. Now, if you remember, the offensive line played really poorly against Virginia Tech last season and got their act together. Um, Obviously, Ed Warner is one of the most respected offensive line coaches in, in the country, if not the most respected line coach. He's obviously calling the offense now, too, and has some more responsibilities. But the, the, if that gets fixed, I think everything gets a lot easier. Um, I thought the identity of this Ohio State team, regardless of the quarterback on offense, would be more of a pound and ground. And I've seen Urban say in a few places that you know they want to be a – play action, you know, run team, play action, pass that team, which they seemingly have the personnel to uh, to do. And uh, it just it just hasn't come together yet. Um, and I, I think there's a there's there's a confluence of, of factors there. Um, the only thing that's not in doubt right now is the talent. The talent's clearly there. So, you know, you've, you've written a lot about Ohio State. You've written some really interesting stories. And, and obviously we're huge fans of you know, the work that you've done. Um, one of the things I was really curious about is what kind of drew you to Ohio State, maybe aside from the obvious that it's such a large program and whatnot, um, and also what might make Ohio State right now and Urban Meyer maybe a little unique uh, from some other big-time programs? Well, you know, since I got to Sports Illustrated a couple of years ago, um, you know, one of, the, one of the really great things about working on such a – kind of dynamic publication is they, you know, they really let you invest time to do, uh, to do cool and, and different stories. So, uh, one of, one of the early assignments I did there was, uh, was early in that 13 season, um, when, when Ohio State opened with Buffalo and, uh, I was, I was lucky enough to, to get access to, uh, to the headset for, for the game and, Sat in the the quarterback room for a uh, for for a couple of couple of days leading into that opener, and it was really one of the most fascinating stories I've ever worked on, and will be probably for the most the rest of my career. I mean, when you look back, you kind of laugh now. Tom Herman was the quarterback coach, and <laughs> the quarterbacks were Kenny Guyton, Cardale, Braxton Miller, and Jason Parrott. So um, it was uh, you know certainly I had no idea then you know sort of how relevant all those people would end up being. In, uh, in, right. in 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 college football, so I was uh, it was complete dumb luck uh, to be honest. Uh, as everything uh, as everything went on, um, and uh, you know, and Ohio State obviously became uh, became nationally relevant, uh, you know, pre- pretty quick from uh, fr- from that point on. So, um, you know, being lucky enough to work at a place like Sports Illustrated and you know, have an opportunity to spend you know, a lot of time and resources, and they, they sent for that story Simon Brody, who's, you know, regarded as the best sports photographer in the world, um, with me, you know, to Columbus for, for you know, whatever it was, four or five days um, to, uh, to hang out and to, to, shoot, to, shoot that, uh, to shoot that story. And, uh, you know, so, it, you know, the, the ability to have that kind of access and have the right forum to tell a compelling story, you know, through that access um, is, you know, one, one of the things that, uh, that, that, that drew me there. You know, certainly 
I've been writing about Meyer uh, since he was at Utah, I guess, in 2004, back when I was working at the New York Times. And I'll say this: I remember the you know the beat guys that I know in Ohio State, like Doug Lemery and different guys like that. You know, after years of just Tressel giving them nothing, you know, trying to get blood from his <laughs> own. Meyer is interesting. I mean, he says stuff. You know, like I, I right. and I think he, he's he's a really intellectual guy. Um, I think if he wasn't a football coach, he could easily have been like a CEO or some other type, you know, some type of to leader. But he's he's a dynamic personality, and he's not afraid to say things, you know. Um, and I think that's a little bit rare. Uh, I live in Boston, you know. Certainly, we get uh, we get our fill of you know Bill Belichick on the you know on the nightly <laughs> news. It is it is. It is what it is, is if you uh, if if you will, and uh, it, I think Urban does a really good job of understanding that every time he's in front of a microphone or a tape recorder, it's a way to sell his program to recruits. And if you uh, if if you look back at uh, you know just some of the things he's been ahead of the curve on, um, you know, getting a guy like Mark Pantone in to do player personnel and social media and different things like that way before others. He's just, he's just always understood that if you're not changing and evolving with the times and getting better, you know, people are going to, people are going to pass you. And so uh, I, I give that program a lot of credit. I, I follow a lot of you know, programs on Twitter and Instagram and that kind of stuff. And I feel like there is, consistently creative and engaging as, uh, as, as anyone in, in, in the country. Pete, one of one things I wanted to ask you about was, uh, you know, the talking heads, we hear them say there are no real great teams right now. And, and certainly uh, it doesn't appear that anybody's unbeatable at this point in the season, as we've seen in some years past. Do you think that we'll get to that point where some of these teams will become sort of these juggernaut-looking teams, or, or do you think there's just so much parity that we're not going to see a truly great team in college football this year? Yeah, we, we've kind of reached that point of the season where we think everybody stinks, you know. Um, <laughs> I'll, I'll, say, I'll say this. I think Michigan State's the most impressive team I've seen so far. I saw them live uh, in their opener in Kalamazoo against Western Michigan when, quite frankly, they didn't play that well. But, uh, you know, on the hoof, just in terms of size and their defensive line. I mean, Ohio State has a great defensive line, so it's certainly not taking away from that. And I know that's where your sort of biases lie. But Michigan State's defensive <laughs> line, oh, Lord, oh, my. I mean, I remember I was on the sideline for that game. I'm actually doing a story on P.J. Fleck that's going to run this week on uh, Campus Rush, our college football site. And uh, I'm, I'm standing there, and, and I'm looking at the defensive line, and I just see this, like, monster uh, and, I, and I hadn't seen him play yet in the game. And I looked down on my roster, and it's Malik McDowell, who was, obviously you guys remember, the number one recruit in the country two years mm-hmm. ago. And I said to myself, Malik McDowell's like a spot fill-in on the line? I was like, oh, my <laughs> God. You know, it was just one of those moments where it's like, man, those caps are loaded. Um, you know, I mean, I, I think body of work-wise, they've been impressive. I did really like Notre Dame going into this season. Um it's hard to it's hard to really like them now minus six starters much like nobody would like Ohio State minus six you know fuck a quarterback <laughs> a, a defensive you know once you once you roll six starters out of the way it, it's gonna it's gonna do that but I do think Notre Dame has a has a dominating defense um, and they're gonna end up with an identity a lot like that Everett Golson team in 2012 that uh, made it to the national title game and they're, they're gonna win games on 
on defense and counter the ball on the ground. Notre Dame has another really good-looking defensive line and also really a high, high-end offensive line. Um, and so, you know, look, that's, that's where the games, that's where the games won, you know, at the, uh, at the end of the day. Ohio State beat Alabama last year at the core because they dominated the trenches. Um, and, uh, and that's a place where the SEC, obviously, when they won that run of dominance, seemingly had an edge on, on everybody. And I think Brian Kelly, Urban Meyer learned from that and they have sort of built their programs in the trenches in the mold of those SEC teams. When you think back to those, you know, all the all the all the big time guys who were at LSU back then, or Alabama, and you know, shoot Auburn when they won the year with Cam had a heck of a defensive line. So, um, I I do think they'll be great teams by the end of the year, but I I think that in in a large view we still are looking at college football through an SEC prism, fair or not, and I'm skeptical that there's a you know. The SEC is very good, and it's probably still the best league in the country. I haven't sat down and really thought a ton about that yet, but I would still think, you know, there's arguments made elsewhere. I don't think anyone has made a, you know, a, a top to bottom definitive argument to sort of make me move from the SEC as of right now, um, even though that they've they've sort of sputtered in some spots, especially in Fayetteville out of the uh, out of the gate, but um, with no with no team really looking like it's going to be high, 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 high end of the SEC this year. And look, we haven't seen much of Ole Miss other than that really nice win they had the other night. Um, I just, I have a hard time seeing any SEC teams going undefeated. Um, it just, just with the way the ecosystem is the word I've been using. The ecosystem of the SEC is not designed for that. The way the, the way the league is right now, it's a little bit cannibalistic. The ecosystem of the Big Ten is designed for that uh, East champ to uh, potentially go undefeated. Right. Um, so great teams. It's all there's despite how we refine the college football system. There's still a lot of a lot of nebulous arguments that you can't really make definitive. <laughs> right. You know. Well, and um, you know that, that's kind of one of the things I want to ask you about because it feels like maybe this is just coming from the perspective of somebody who watched Ohio State last season evolve so much over the course of the year, but it really does feel like we try to project teams months in advance when they are, you know, not going to be the same from September to October, November. And Wait, you're telling uh, me that Jeremy Johnson's not going to win the Heisman? <laughs> I mean, probably not. Um, but, but you know what I'm saying? Like, And so it, it's interesting to me because – now, we do try to project so far in the future, and it, it really doesn't plan out. And sometimes it works in our favor, you know, because I, I don't think any Ohio State fan in September of last year would be like, yeah, we'll win the national championship. But th- what I want to know from you is what teams do project real positively that maybe are kind of under the radar right now that we should be paying attention to because they're going to be relevant later on. Whew, that's a good uh, That's a good question. Um, I, it's almost hard to go under the radar anymore. You know what I mean? Like just yeah. with, with how much information is available, how much media is available. Um, I would think like, does UCLA count is under the radar? Um, I'd say maybe a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that they probably in the preseason did not get the amount of hosannas they earned. But look, every team, when you line them up in the preseason has some sort of looming question mark. And UCLA is obviously quarterback. Um, yeah. Brett Hundley was gone. Josh Rosen was there. He, 
obviously was an unbelievable prep star, um, interesting background and pedigree with his uh, mom as a magazine editor or publisher, and his dad was a ice dancing gold medalist somewhere along the line. Um, not exactly your your normal uh, quarterback backstory, but um, you, but you couldn't stand on the table with two feet on UCLA without acknowledging there was a big question mark at quarterback. But I do think that Paul Perkins at tailback is excellent. Miles Jack as your uh, as your as your uh, as your linebacker slash running back, I guess, is as dynamic an athlete. But they they returned something, you know, in the high teens and and start as starters. Luckily, all that information stored on returning starters is slowly processing out of my mind after having to like recite it for four months during all this hype stuff. Um, I, I would just think that generally, if you talk to coaches in the Pac-12, um, they they think really highly of UCLA, and quite frankly. USC may be as talented, but UCLA right now has proven that they're better coached. And, uh, you know, the, the jury is still way out on, on Steve Sarkeesian if, uh, you know, if he can maximize the talent. I mean, they were almost perfectly set up for failure by being picked to win the, uh, win the, win the league out there. Um, Arizona, we'll find out a lot about this weekend. They haven't really had any, like, games of – you know, magnitude or significance yet, but they did win the Pac-12 South last year. So, um, and they did re- return starters in the high teens. They do have a, a new Solomon Scooby Wright is expected to be back for that UCLA game. So yeah, um, whoever wins that game, I really think you have to put right in the throes of any kind of national title conversation, especially if UCLA can go win at Arizona. Um, uh, that would kind of that would be the, the, that would jump out at me anyway to uh, to to start and like a one loss team you know multiple one loss teams are going to be playing in this thing and uh, right. I mean I expect there to maybe be one maybe two undefeated maybe 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 so you know Stanford looked excellent the other night um, they kind of looked like what you remembered Stanford being uh, I didn't watch much of their Northwestern game when they looked awful. But now Northwestern looks like it could end up being okay, better than previous renditions back to a couple years ago when they were winning 10 games. Fitz seems like he's got his groove back a little, which is great to see. Um, you know, the North in the Pac-12, Cal obviously has the quarterback, um, but I think it's a stretch to say that Cal has jumped Stanford. So this is a long way of saying like that an Arizona State or Stanford could be a lot more relevant in November than when we're talking right now. So. Yeah. I mean, you look at the Big Ten outside Ohio State and outside of Michigan State, you got to craft, you know, it's a tricky argument to craft another one of those teams <laughs> in, the same esch- in the same echelon. So, yeah, that tends to be the case um, for the Big Ten. Yeah. And, and, boy, I saw Florida State live on Friday night at Boston College, and, uh, uh, look, they could go undefeated, you know, and good for them if they do, but, I, I just, I just don't, I just don't see it. Their best player was their punter. Um, and, and again, they're talented on defense, obviously. And, uh, and BC actually is pretty good on defense. BC is going to, BC is going to be in a lot of 10-7 games this year. That was my takeaway from them, uh, especially after the quarterback got hurt. But I'm not sold on Clemson, uh, you know, in terms of coming out of the ACC. So, and then you look at the Big 12, I think TCU, I said it in the preseason, I, I, did, I was not on the TCU bandwagon. They lost too much on defense. And then 
they've just gotten this slew of starters either hurt or arrested and, you know, the, leaving the team. Like, the whole bad side of the ball seems to be falling apart. And, look, <laughs> you are you are one bad quarter away from getting blown out in the Pac-12, just the way that league's designed. So <laughs> I, I'm still off the TCU bandwagon. Maybe A&M. I mean, it's still early, and they looked so bad at times last year. But anyway, I'm <laughs> rambling now. But those are those are a couple of the couple of the teams that are sort of tiptoeing around. Uh, Pete, uh, before we let you go, just one more quick question. I want to circle back to Ohio State and ask you, as Ohio State fans, how many games of struggles should we endure before we actually panic this year? <laughs> You know, I have a hard time connecting to the mind of the fan because I'm really not <laughs> one. Um, panic, huh? I, I think panic's – I mean, you're 3-0 and and ranked number one in the country. Um, <laughs> you've got another, I know. You've got another game. To, <laughs> yes, First world problem. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> Head to the bridge. Jump soon. Um, uh, you know, this week going to be interesting because Western Michigan's probably – way better than anybody, you know, your common fan in the shoe thinks. I saw them play against Michigan State earlier in the year. They have a wide receiver who, uh, he won't be the best receiver on the field because uh, I, have a, I have a high-end respect for Mike Thomas, but they have a receiver named Corey Davis who will be a three-and-done. Um, big number 83 or 4, I think it's 84. He was dominant against Michigan State, um, which might not have great corners this year, but like it's not it's not easy for a guy in the Mac to be dominant on the field against Michigan State. Corey Davis was dominant. So just like Western Michigan is the best recruiting class in the Mac the last two years, um, they've kind of got the young hot coach. They're not going to roll over. Um, I'm not saying they're going to threaten. I'm not saying they're going to win, but I'm just saying like they're you know they are a they are a competent mid to high level Mac program, much in the same archetype of what we saw in Northern Illinois, though Northern Illinois is an option above them just because of the consistent success they've had. So I just wouldn't think of, you know, 52 nothing is a, is a foregone conclusion, just considering some of the talent they have and they've shown in different spots. So to answer your question, don't panic until you lose. Okay, if there's one thing enough. that Meyer has proven <laughs> in his year in, 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 you know, his, his, you know, 13, 14, 15 years, however long he's been a head coach, he rarely loses games he shouldn't. He has, certainly, you know, but he just, you know, and that's when you're at a Cadillac job like Ohio State, that's a, that's a good skill to have. So yeah, don't panic until you see something in that right-hand column. All right. Well, hopefully we won't see anything there for a while. Pete Thamel, Sports Illustrated college football writer, thanks so much for joining us on the 11 Dubcast, and we hope to have you on again soon. Hey, guys, thanks for thinking of me. I really appreciate it. Once again, we come to the end of a wonderful, wonderful episode of the 11 Dubcast, and we want to thank our guests, of course, Matt Finkus for Finkus on Football, and Pete Thamel, Sports Illustrated college football writer, both very excellent guests. Yeah, they did a great job. I'm really glad we got to have them on tonight, uh, especially, you know, again, just to, if, if only to settle the nerves of some, <laughs> some people. <laughs> Talk them down off the ledge, that kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, okay. Um, so before we get out of here, Johnny, I have a final question, as we, we always do. All right, let's this, do it. This outro here. Uh, I want to know, this, this week, the Muppets returned to... <laughs> television to primetime television yeah. uh what muppet are you johnny what muppet am i i'm rolf i can't play look i can't play any musical instrument actually you know what i want to be rolf 
but it's probably much more accurate to say that I'm Fozzie Bear. So <laughs> I'm not gonna, like, I, like I get look, I have enough self awareness. Maybe Gonzo. I don't know. Probably some combination of Fozzie Bear and Gonzo. Yeah. Okay. I could I could see you as Fozzie actually. Yeah. No. Like, <laughs> Uh, I would like to be animal. Yeah. Um, I would like to think that I, I could be animal, but uh, I'm probably more like Scooter. Yeah, Scooter's yeah. good. Yeah, that's that's a really good. That's a good comparison. Um, <laughs> or the or the two old guys up in the. I think that's, the, that's yeah. both of us actually. Yeah, I think we're the two the two guys up in the up in the balcony. Yeah. Uh, I can't. Their names escape me all the time. And then, then they have weird. They they're like I don't know, whatever. And then they're people Marley tell me who they are. Okay. <laughs> Denny Mayo is listening to this. We're Marley and Marley. Woo! <laughs> people tell me who they are, and then I go, Oh, that's right. I, I won't forget that again. And they probably promptly forget it like an hour later. Yeah. So um, that's just the way it is. But you know, uh, so. Anyway, we'll be back next week, obviously, to break down Western Michigan. The, the and, incredible 55-point uh, victory against Western Michigan. Yes, yet another blowout That's over right. Mac School, just like this past week. Um, and uh, we're going to look ahead to, oh, my God, Johnny. After, you know, when we're here next week doing the dubcast, mm-hmm. we're going to be preparing. We'll be preparing for Big Ten season. All right. For the, the Big Ten conference schedule. Finally. It's, it, it's like. It's going to be. We just started the season, and it's like slipping away already. It's like going so fast. That's right. It's not fun until we get knocked over anyway, so I'm good with it. All right. Well, uh, until next week, I am Michael Citro. I'm Johnny Ginner. Peace, everyone. Bye.